You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, nothing like being given the opportunity to follow a video with a whole bunch of adorable children in it. Um, but um, those are those were so terrific this morning. Uh, talking, We're going to be talking about, obviously, Love Like Jesus is our new series. And this morning, Pastor Farrell and Charlotte are actually showing each other some love. They are celebrating, I think it's their 32nd wedding anniversary this weekend. So they are, um, they're enjoying that. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing. And um, I have the privilege of being here. So for centuries, you know, people have been trying to answer the question, um, what is love? What does love look like? And I think these children did a pretty good job, but I particularly love the one little fella who just said, that is a really hard question to answer. Um, that because I think it is a, it is love is complicated to explain, um, but we're going to do our best over the next three weeks to try to really unpack what it looks like to love like Jesus as we take a deep dive into the Gospel of John chapter thirteen. So that is starting um, today. Basically, what we're really honing in on is that the same love that God gives to us, he wants us to offer to everyone else that we come in contact with. Um, As a parent, uh, how many parents do we have in the room or grandparents, aunts, uncles? Um, I don't know about you, but when when, when my son was growing up, if I really wanted to stress a point to him and really get something across, I would typically have to say it multiple times within a short period of time. And he knew if he heard his name three times or heard me repeat something three times, it meant, listen up, this is really important. Um, So this morning, we're going to start by looking at a scripture where Jesus actually repeats something to his disciples multiple times. It's in uh, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So let's, uh, let's read what he said to to us to listen up to. Ready? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what is the command that he repeated three times in those two verses? Love one another. To love people, all people, is not an option or a suggestion. It is a command. And if God um, commands us to do something, then he also empowers us to be able to live out that commandment. Now, we can't command people to feel a certain way, can we? I mean, if we see a child crying and sobbing, we can't take them and say, I Be happy. (laughs) I mean, they're not going to respond to a command like that because you can't command somebody to feel a certain way. So that tells me that love is not just a feeling. And in fact, there are numerous scriptures all throughout the Bible that really sum up that love is um, something that is a choice. It is a conduct. And it also is a commitment that we make to other people. Jesus makes it very clear that love is the identifying quality of a Christ follower. A couple of years ago, I misplaced my wallet for a few days, and as I was in a kind of a panic mode of trying to locate it, one, I was concerned that somebody might 
um, you know, steal my credit cards. But what I was really concerned about was that my license was in that wallet and my license was proof of my identity if I needed to prove my identity to someone. Um, but, you know, biblically speaking, our, I, uh, the proof of our identity is not tied up in a document. The proof of our identity, Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35, is it's how we love one another. It's how we treat other people that shows the world that we are his disciples. If there's anything his followers should be known for, it should be how we love. When Jesus came and walked among the people, he came to reveal the love of God, Romans 5, 8, to display the love of God, Luke 23, 24, and to empower us to love others, Ephesians 5, 2. Living a Christ-centered life is more than believing that Jesus existed. It's more than gaining knowledge about him. Um, it's about becoming more like him, being transformed into his image. And that includes how we treat other people, whether we particularly like them or not. So let's learn from, let's learn about loving as Christ's love from an incident that is recorded in John chapter 13. We're going to read a fairly long passage of scripture because we need to see the context of the, the context of the story, but also everything that Christ did within this very special meal he had with his disciples. Let's read this together. It's uh, either, um, on your devices, in your Bible, or it's going to be up here on the screen. In fact, let's read this aloud together um, because faith grows as we hear, right? It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, um, we know that from Luke's gospel, there is an undercurrent of unrest among the disciples as they, as they gather together for this very special meal. Luke records that before their coming together, they had argued as to which one of them was going to be considered the greatest in the group. And Jesus uses this teachable moment um, to show them who is truly the greatest. And that is the one who is willing to humble themselves to serve others. He gets up and he displays an outrageous act of humility. Jesus, the one that they believed was the Messiah, their rabbi, their teacher, the one that they referred to as master, this, this Jesus moves from the seat of honor, takes off his outer clothing, and he wraps a towel around his waist like a servant would do. You see, washing someone else's nasty, dirty feet after they've been traveling the dusty roads of Jerusalem was a task that was considered very menial and only for servants. In fact, there's a Jewish commentary that states that even the Jewish slaves were not required to wash another person's feet, that that was so demeaning that it was reserved for Gentile slaves or for women, children, or pupils. A wife might wash her husband's feet. A child might wash their parents' feet. Um, rarely, but sometimes, a disciple would, would wash a distinguished rabbi's feet. But for a superior to wash an inferior person's feet was absolutely unheard of. It was never done. But Jesus, but Jesus, I love that saying, but Jesus, he did it. He does it because he always goes against the cultural norm of humanity. The one who spoke the world in existence, the great I am, willingly takes the lowly position of washing his disciples' feet. Why? Because modeling um, he was modeling the love that moves beyond titles and positions. Since 1984, former President and Mrs. Carter have helped build 4,200 Habitat homes. At 94, he was spotted sawing boards at a home build in South Bend, Indiana. And in, uh, when the person came up to him and asked him why he was doing this in 90-degree heat, his response was, well, people need housing, and the carpenter that we contracted didn't show up. Plus, this is my way of putting God's love into action. Who knows how many homes in America have been built 
because former President Carter was willing to leverage his title to express God's love to others and invite others to join him in that. If God has blessed you with a job, with a career, with a leadership position on a team, um, if he has positioned you where you are going to have influence and recognition, I challenge you that you have been given a divine opportunity to use your position to model what it looks like to love like Jesus. Now, it's important to note that Jesus did not just wash the disciples' feet out of duty or obligation. He's showing his disciples that love is something that we do. Love has a bias to action. Or as Bob Goff says, love does. And in fact, if you don't have the book, Love Does, or his most recent book, Everyone Always, I would highly, highly encourage you to read one or both of those books. The Living Bible translates John, uh, 1 John, 1 John 3.18 like this. Let us stop just saying that we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Did you ever play show and tell growing up? How many in here played show and tell growing up? This is audience participation. More than 10 of you played it. I know that. Okay, so how many of you played show and tell growing up? All right. So I think what happens is, I think as children, we play show and tell. Then we become adults, and as adults in the family of God, something happens to us, and we begin to tell more than show. However, Philippians 1.19, I mean 1.9 says, may your love abound and display itself. As Christians, our love for one another is supposed to be seen in action, not to win the applause of man, but to bring honor to God and to be a living introduction to those who don't know Jesus, showing them what it's like to love like Jesus. Now, I know that many of us, um, we sing the songs, you know, oh, Lord, I love you and I worship you. and Oh, God, I surrender my life to you. You're my all in all. That's Sunday. Then on Monday, while we're at Harris Teeter, we're scheming how we can get in front of the mom with two kids with the full cart because we don't want to be in the grocery store an extra 10 minutes. Now, it's quiet in here. I know you guys do that because I see you. I know I've done it. I've gotten busted for doing it. In fact, um, this past Saturday, my husband and I, late in the afternoon, we were going up to Burkdale to run an errand, and there had been an accident on 73, and traffic was just a mess. And so we're, we're on the bridge coming from 21 going over, you know, 73. We're, we're on the bridge. And folks are trying to come off of 77, you know, to get on to 73. And the accident was just slightly after that. And um, I, le- I, uh, I was driving, and I said to my husband, Walt, I said, you know, I just finished up 
um, the notes on tomorrow's sermon about loving others, I guess I ought to let somebody in, shouldn't I? And he said, yeah, I think that'd be a really good idea. And so um, anyway, we kind of figured out how we could let this one fellow, you know, come off of the come off of 77. He got in front, you know, we're doing the wave thing. He's doing the wave thing, you know, in the back of his rear view mirror. And I'm feeling really good about myself that I can share that today. And um so somebody got his chair, got it. And um, so anyway, what was really interesting was we watched him and he ended up, as, as we were all ooching forward, he ended up letting two people in. And we commented to each other, isn't that the power of love? It always multiplies itself. When we show a little bit of love, it multiplies itself. Now I'm going to let you in on the rest of the conversation in the car. So um, we're, we're celebrating how this guy did that. And I said to Walt, I said, oh, man, I said, I can't wait for that video because I had seen the previews of the video. And I said, I can't wait till that, that people see this video tomorrow. It's so cute. All these kids are talking about love. It's so adorable. I said, you know, I wish there was a simple way that I could just tell people what love is. And my husband, if anybody knows my husband's dry wit, my husband says, baby, all you got to tell him is you live with the love doctor. <laughs> so if you want to know what love is, just put a video camera on Walt in our house and learn from the love doctor. But anyway... I had to tell on him a little bit there. So I'm sure that you would agree with me that it is easy to love people who love you. And it's easy to serve people who serve you, right? What really challenges us and what really separates um, us is when we're faced with having to love like Jesus when somebody is opposing us. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, yet he intentionally, he intentionally washed his feet. Love is a willingness to serve your greatest enemy. As Jesus was placing Judas' feet in the basin and beginning to wipe the dirt from between his toes, I wonder if the words of Christ were ringing in Judas' ears. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies. When I read that scripture during the week, I really had to say to the Lord, who is my enemy? So I turned to Mr. Webster and looked up the definition of enemy, and it says, An enemy is someone that pursues with harmful intent to overthrow or confound an opponent. An enemy is one who has an antagonistic and hostile heart towards another. This definition makes it very clear to me who my enemy isn't. My enemy is not a co-worker who disagrees with my opinion. And my enemy, get ready for this one, is not the person who votes differently than I do. My enemy is not my spouse when he doesn't agree with the color I want to paint the house. But in this world that we live in today, we label so many people, don't we, as our enemy who really are not our enemy. They're just different. Just because someone is difficult, annoying, or even obnoxious doesn't make them 
an enemy. However, we do have a real enemy. And the Bible states very clearly that our enemy is Satan, that we wrestle not against princi- we wrestle not against flesh and blood people, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness who motivate people to betray us, reject us, take credit for our ideas at work, to sue us, to charge us falsely, and to judge us publicly. Jesus warned us that there were going to be people who would treat us just like they treated him. That there would be people who would stab us in the back, let us down, and break our hearts. Truth is, there are just some people who wake up every day and they brush their teeth and then they sharpen their tongues. But as Christ followers, we are to humble ourselves and wash their feet. Not with a literal basin and a towel. Of course, that would be interesting. Um, But we wash their feet by praying for those who mistreat us. Praying for an enemy, praying for someone who has a hostile intent towards you is an expression of love. You're loving them because you're inviting heaven to reach down and touch them. You're choosing not to speak words of rejection and inviting others to reject them as well. You are blessing them by inviting the goodness of God to move into their life. In 1971, the very first African-American pitcher was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. His name was Leroy Satchel Page. One writer said of Mr. Page, he can throw a ball at a man's knees all day long. When he pitched a three-inning shutout at the age of 60, he became famous for saying, age is a question of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. I love that. But there's another quote that he made from a very memorable event that I want to share with you. At the age of 42, Satchel Page made his big league debut in 1948 with the Cleveland Indians. And um, the first game that he played with them, one, the opposing team wanted to embarrass him, wanted to intimidate him. So they lined up their four best batters in a row. Now, that is not common. Usually in baseball, at the most, you would line up three of your best batters. But because they wanted to intimidate him, they put their four best batters in the lineup one after another. And Satchel Page did the most interesting things. Every time one of these batters came up to bat, he turned to the outfielders and he told them, sit down. And they did. And he struck out all four batters. (laughs) When they interviewed him after the game, he was asked how he felt about all the racial slurs that had been thrown at him during the game and the intimidating tactics that the opposing team had used. And this was his reply. You've got to love like you've never been hurt. You've got to love like you've never been hurt. You see, when people hurt you, they expect you to retaliate. They expect you to seek some kind of revenge. 
But that's the easy choice to make. The easy way is to respond when hurt, hurt back. But God gives us another option, a different way of living. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you or pray for those who mistreat you. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we should allow injustice. On the contrary, we must seek justice. However, it is important as Christ followers how we go about responding to an offender who has hurt us. Booker T. Washington once said, I will never allow another man to control my life by allowing him to make me hate him. Now, Jesus didn't say that it would be easy to love our enemies, to love like we had never been hurt. He just said it was going to work, that it was going to accomplish something. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that whole chapter dedicated to love, it says at the very end of it, love never fails. And we know this to be true, because if you are a follower of Christ, at one point in your life, you were, the Bible says, you were an enemy of God. But the Holy Spirit pursued you. Out of love, the Spirit of God wooed you, came after you, ministered to you, invited you, and welcomed you into the family of God. It was love that finally captured your heart. And you moved from being an enemy of God to now the scriptures say we have become friends with God. Love never fails. What would our world be like if the church, the people of God, loved like they'd never been hurt? In verse 14, Jesus is now finishing. He's down to the last disciples' feet and finishes his task, dries their feet, and he comes back to the table. And he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I heard a remarkable story of a high school student in Arkansas recently. Perhaps you heard this on the news as well. It was a few weeks ago. His name is Tanner Wilson, and he had watched his friend Brandon for several years struggle to push his manual wheelchair from class to class, so he decided to give him an electric wheelchair for his senior year. Now, that in and of itself is a really nice story and shows the kindness that is rooted in Tanner's heart. However, it's the rest of the story that really caught my attention. Tanner had specifically worked a part-time job at a local mechanic shop for two years to earn the money to buy his friend Brandon that electric wheelchair. When asked why he worked to save the money for someone else's needs, Tanner said, I feel like life's too short to be judging everyone, and you should think more of others than of yourself. An 18-year-old from Arkansas demonstrated to the world what it looked like to love like Jesus. Love puts others ahead of your own agenda. 
Now remember, realize in this story, this high school student had worked from age 16 to 18. He gave up time with his friends. He gave up spending money on himself to work for a new wheelchair that he would never use, but that his friend would have. He put his friend ahead of himself. And that's what washing another person's feet looks like. And I think it makes Jesus really smile. We live in a culture today that is full of contempt, judgmentalism, and self-exaltation. I read this week that one-third of Americans have stopped talking to a family member, have broken relationship with their own flesh and blood because of a political disagreement. That's sad. Many wonder what will change the divisiveness, the racial tensions, the rage that's brewing, and the self-centeredness that poisons our world today. Well, spiritually speaking, I believe it's going to take a whole lot of Christians who say that they love Jesus to start loving others like Jesus. I think it's going to take the church, the people of God, to stop talking about God's love and start demonstrating God's love in our society. I think it's going to take us filling our lamps every day with the oil of the Holy Spirit and asking the Lord to show us opportunities to love like Jesus. I think it's going to take moments of time when the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulders and we start to say yes to the promptings of God, to be inconvenienced and taken out of our way, to actually introduce people to what it looks like to love Jesus. People want to see the reality of our faith. They want to see the realness of our relationship with Christ. Most of the world has heard the message of the gospel. I mean, not most of the world, but most of America has heard the message of the gospel. There's still two-thirds of the world yet to embrace Jesus. But in America, we've heard the gospel. It's now time for us to show the gospel. Stop telling, start showing, and demonstrating. And I think a lot more people will want to follow the Christ that we proclaim if we will demonstrate his love to one another. 1 Corinthians 14.1, the message paraphrase says, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it because it does. When we go after something, it means that we are making a choice to pursue. So we need to go after, we need to pursue demonstrating the love of God. We need to pursue praying for our enemies. We need to pursue moving in to action, laying our titles and our position down. Several years ago, I was invited to do a, um, to give a, a devotional at a homeless uh, feeding center in Charlotte. And uh, there were a couple of hundred people at the lunch. Uh, it was a place at that time, um, it was called the Harvest Center. Um, 
and uh, Sister Rosa had invited me there, and, and it was wonderful, and the devotional went well, and then I asked people at the end of the lunch if they wanted to come up for prayer to come up for prayer. And um, there were a few leaders um, uh, at the kitchen that also came and stood with me, and there was a gentleman who made his way from kind of the back of the room towards me, and I have a very sensitive nose. Uh, my son can tell you that as a teenager, he didn't get away with much because I could smell where he had been. And um, I, just, I, just have, I just have a sensitive nose. And this gentleman was about, I don't know, 12, 15 feet from me, and I could smell him coming. And, I mean, it almost, it, it almost revolted me. And uh, he had dreadlocks that were, I mean, like long dreadlocks. They were all matted. Coat was just, I don't know what was on his clothes. I could only guess. You know, shoes were ripped up. I mean, he, he had the stench of the world on him. And as he was walking towards the front to get prayer, I was, I mean, I'll just be honest with you, I was saying, please, God, no, no, please don't have me pray for him. Please, no, I, I'll throw up. I mean, I, I, I can't do this. Well, I mean, he just made his beeline right to this girl. So as he got closer and closer to me, and I realized I'm the one who's going to have to pray with this fellow, I was almost paralyzed um, because the the smell was so bad. And um, I just did a flare prayer. You know how we do that. God help. <laughs> That's a flare prayer. You know, you just shoot that prayer right up there. God help me. I mean, I, I didn't want to pray for him like this. You know I mean? Just God help me. Help me. And the minute that I said that, what I heard in my heart was, Michelle, that's how bad your sin smelled to me. That'll get your attention. And when he came up to me, his name was Larry. I I, I ended up actually having quite a conversation with him. But when Larry came up to me, after hearing that from the Lord, I wrapped my arms around him. And in that moment, as his smell began to permeate me, and I started, my clothes started to take on his smell. It was as though a shower of God's love just came down in that moment. And you know, at the end of that, at the end of that uh, story of the disciples in chapter 13, what is the last thing that Jesus says to everybody at that table? He tells them, if you will love one another, you will be blessed. That very verse 18 says there's a blessing that comes with loving another, stepping out of your comfort zone, taking on the smell of another person. And I have to tell you, that was one of the most blessed moments of my life as Larry gave his heart to the Lord and our smell became one. Not only did we share the putrid smell, but we got to share the fragrance of Christ that came down upon us. And that's what we as the church need to do, my friends. We need to start being willing to take on 
the smell of another. That might look like all different things in the world, in the neighborhood, and in the world in which, in which you live. But we, don't, we shouldn't be avoiding people because of their differences. We should be embracing people and loving them like Christ loved us. I was reflecting the other day that when I get to heaven, what will God, what might Jesus ask of me? And I really kind of came down to a very simple thought. I don't think when I stand before the Lord, he's going to ask me why I didn't work harder. I don't think he's going to ask why I didn't have more appointments scheduled in my Outlook calendar. I don't think he's going to ask me about my vacations. I don't think we're going to talk about how I decorated my house. I, I just don't, I don't think he's even going to ask me about my Bible reading plan and how many check boxes I had. I think there are two questions that the Lord is going to ask me and you when we come face to face with him. One is going to be, did we love him? Did we love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? And did we love others well? Not just, not just a little bit of love, but did we love well? Well. And so today, as we close this message, I want to pose to you two questions. And the first is, if you are here today, and you maybe have heard about Jesus, maybe you've talked about Jesus, but you've never opened your life to him, you've never made him your Lord, then you don't love him yet, because love is an action, love is an expression. And you have to express your love to him in order to be in a love relationship with him. So my first question, and if you would, just everybody just bow their heads for just a moment. If there's anyone here that would just say, I want to move beyond hearing about Jesus to to having a love relationship with Jesus. Would you just raise your hand if that's you today? We had a couple of people in the last service. I see your hand, ma'am. Need a little help with these lights. Is there anyone in the balcony? Yes, I see your hand as well, ma'am. Sir, I see your hand. Sir, I see your hand. Wow. I see your hand, ma'am. Awesome. Oh, back in the back. Thank you. Let's pray with these individuals and invite them into, as they open their heart, as they unzip themselves to a love relationship with Christ. Let's pray this prayer aloud. Dear Jesus, I realize that living my life on my own and being the master of my own life smells. It stinks. Lord, today I come to you with all my sin and I say, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. I choose today to begin a love relationship with you. I choose today to walk with you and follow you the rest of my life. Grow me in my understanding. Fill my heart with your love. 
Help me to know what your love is all about so I may show it to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.